You are about to enter the Cyber PD Podcast. Cyber School Pedagogy lives here. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Cyber PD Podcast. Today, we have all four of the hosts with us. Uh, we have Steve Nugent. Katie Di Stefano and Kelly Quackenbush, along with me, John Thomas. And we are going to be talking about differentiation strategies. But first, we are 17 episodes in to the Cyber PD podcast. And I have read before that most podcasts make it to about eight episodes and then fade away. We've doubled that, more than doubled that with 17 episodes. So what are your guys' thoughts on the podcast so far? I really am enjoying it. It is. It has been such a wonderful learning experience, and it's just invigorating. One of the things that I'm loving the most in talking to our colleagues and then also listening to your conversations that you've had, John and Kelly, is the determination of our teachers to not let the confines of a cyber classroom, like hold them back in what they want to do and achieve with their students. And I think Nicole Simpson said it in one of ours, it was sort of like, why can't we? You know, there's nothing that can happen in a traditional brick and mortar setting that can't happen here. We just need to employ our creativity and our determination um, as educators, share our passion with our students, and that's going to guide us to do amazing and wonderful things. And so I'm just loving hearing all of the different ways that teachers are overcoming those barriers, that sort of invisible cyber wall, and figuring out ways to connect with their students in really meaningful and positive ways. So I really, really enjoyed hearing how creative and passionate our teachers are. I'm going to jump in right after Katie because what I wanted to say was very similar. I am amazed at the dedication that our teachers have to our students and the level of commitment and connections that our teachers are able to make with our students. It is amazing when people come into cyber school, they think, well, oh, how am I going to make connections to my students? I can't see them. I, you know, I'm I don't have that eye to eye contact with them every day, but they are able to make amazing connections and do some amazing things within the virtual world and just step over those boundaries. And it's been wonderful to hear and have these conversations. For me personally, I've just really enjoyed getting to be able to talk to people across this medium. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I, I think we say it all the time at Agora that time is our most precious commodity. And I know of teachers who would love to be able to come to like a lunch and learn or uh, a meeting. They just can't fit it into their schedule for one reason or another. They're either in another meeting of their own, their lesson planning, et cetera. So this is a way to have some interesting looks at what other educators are doing at our school. But you can do it on your own time if you're in the car on the treadmill, uh, something like that. You can listen to it on your own time and really be able to take away some interesting things that are going on at Agora, some things that you might not be aware of, especially since you can collabor collaborate, excuse me, not just across departments, but across grade bands. Elementary school teachers might not get to see what's going on in a high school classroom and vice versa. This way, uh, we get to get a little peek into what's going on at Agora K through 12. So that's one of the things that I've loved most about uh, the podcast. 
And uh, along with getting to see, uh, be able to peek into other classrooms at our school, because we are full of such great professionals here and we're isolated in our home offices, but this kind of breaks down the walls of our home offices so we can peek into those other wonderful professionals here at Agora's offices. But uh, also outside of Agora, I got a notification on Facebook that somebody from Tennessee who I had never met said that they have been, they they work for a cyber school down there and they say that they've been listening to every episode and they're loving the show. So if you're listening to our, us right now in Tennessee, welcome. Uh, we, we love that fact. And uh, it, so we're, we're hearing not only from other professionals here in Pennsylvania, but across the country as well. We get to hear what they're doing. So I'm loving all these aspects of the uh, of the podcast so far, but now let's get to our main topic of discussion for today, which is differentiation. Uh, we do serve a diverse group of learners here at Agora, and I'm sure this is true at every cyber school because we're schools of choice and, and students have so many reasons that they choose the cyber option that it leads to a variety of students in all of our classroom. So being able to differentiate our lessons isn't really an option. It's it's a requirement whenever you have that diversity. And it's with that in mind that today what we're going to do is each of us are going to share one strategy that we think works or one state of mind that works for differentiation. So we'll answer the strategy. What is that one or the question? What is that one strategy that you think is helpful for differentiating? But first, so that we're all on the same page, we need to define our term. So what does it mean to differentiate? And what differentiation, differentiation is, is when you have a classroom of different students, you need to have different ways to reach them. It would be easy enough if we had a classroom full of 30 robots to have one strategy that works for all 30 of them. But that would be no fun. <laughs> Teaching 30 robots is not uh, why we went into education. We went into education because we want to teach kids. So we have a classroom full of 30 kids and each of them learn a little bit differently. So teaching one way to 30 kids isn't going to work. Teaching 30 different ways to 30 kids, we probably don't have time for. So what are the strategies that make sense to, to reach a uh, classroom with 30 different students? There are many different ways you can differentiate. You can differentiate your instructional strategy. You can differentiate your uh, assignments. You can differentiate the processes that you use within the classroom. You can differentiate the content that students are seeing, the, the product or the assessment that you're looking at. You can differentiate the practice activities that you have. But all these are just about reaching different students differently. So that's ultimately what differentiation is, is reaching different students in different ways. Um, and it's not just about ability levels. Often we, we think of differentiation as addressing different ability levels, but you can differentiate based on like something like culture, like do your students, especially at a school like Agora, where we're a statewide school and we have students who are in, in uh, 
Central City, Philadelphia, or, or West Philly. And we have students who are in where I'm at, in Armstrong County, Pennsylvania, where there are more cows than there are people. There are different cultures here. So how you teach somebody who is in West Philly might be different than how you teach somebody who is in Armstrong County, Pennsylvania. Learning styles might be different. Their interests might be different. So all these things are different about our students. So the way we teach them uh, are is is different as well. So so with that in mind, with with our definition of the of the term differentiation there, um, Steve, what is you? What are your thoughts on differentiation in a cyber classroom? So I will, in the spirit of honesty and complete uh, disclosure, I will say that I started out as uh, years ago as a differentiation skeptic. I was not necessarily a fan of differentiation, as Katie is probably aware. We were working on a project together, and I was like, "This is ridiculous. This, this isn't realistic." And then I actually took a step back and looked at, as you so uh, eloquently said there, John, what uh, differentiation is. And I think some, and, and I apologize if I'm going to steal this line from Katie, but it's one that we use often in induction when we introduce the idea of differentiation and it's working smarter, not harder. And it is a wonderful way to engage all of your learners in your classroom and ensure that they are reaching their highest potential. Uh, it's one of those first things that we're taught when we're getting our degrees in education that each student is an individual. Uh, and with that basic tenant in mind, it's it's ridiculous that you would assume that one way of teaching is going to be appropriate for all of the, you know, the hundreds of learners that you're going to see every year. So. Uh, differentiation for for what I'm going to talk about is actually kind of setting the scene for dif differentiation, and that's where I struggled. I would throw out differentiation of product with my my students when I was in the classroom, and it would fall flat. And I'd be like, "Well, this is why differentiation doesn't work." And then I actually did research and looked at you know things that Tomlinson and Wormelli said, and I quickly realized that my culture was not ready for that differentiation. And you have to start with the, the culture of differentiation in your classroom. Uh, you need that positive climate. You need the classroom to, to not just trust you, but trust each other in order to have differentiation be a success. Some things that, you know, uh, Katie and I have talked about in the past, especially with our inductees, is you know adopting a, almost like a parent role in your in your classroom trying to discover something new about your students like when your kids come home and you're at the dinner table you know what happened today um and you, and you want to explore you know what what how their day went um it's almost doing the same thing with your students like trying to learn what are those unique interesting things about your students in your classroom they're going to feel eventually comfortable sharing with you the the classmates are going to learn something about their peers and now you're going to have an investment in in each other and in your classroom so when you start with your grouping or cooperative teams that sort of thing the kids the the learners are going to feel more comfortable in those groups and sharing and working together towards a common goal um, so the get to know you activities surveys at the beginning of the year where you're not just asking students, you know, what's your favorite subject or what if for, for high school, do you have a part-time job? 
um, that kind of thing. Tell me something interesting about yourself. What's a talent you have? What's a skill? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite musical? Who's your favorite rock group? That's that those sorts of things that you can build into your classroom so that students know that you're invested in them. And the idea of helping students gain social status, um, that positive social status. So you're exemplifying qualities like creativity and enthusiasm and leadership. And we don't want students necessarily, you're, you're not doing that, just throwing those out there uh, for, for students to, you know, get a, like a, a sticker or like, hooray, uh, we're all the same, we're all equal, but rather you're helping them feel special in a different way, that you're elevating all of these qualities across the board so that one student who has, you know, is your leader in your classroom, that they're not elevated above the others. We love that leadership quality that you have, but my student over here, you're so creative. I love how you look at that problem in a different way. And so the students see themselves as equals across the board and the, the skills that they're bringing eventually when we, and I know I don't want to take away from Katie because I know she's going to be talking about this idea in a moment, but when we have you in groups that you're all contributing something to that conversation. And when it re when it comes together, when that class feels like a family, um, then you know you're ready to start that differentiation process. You know that the students, again, I've said this many times, but they're invested in what they're doing. And it's not just group work, and you're not going to have one student do all the work and the others sit back and, and be observers. You're really going to have built something special that that the, the students are invested in and they want to succeed because they, they feel that connection, uh, not just to your classroom, and what you're doing, but with each other. And that's uh, something that we can all be proud of. Thanks, Steve. I think that that is the most essential thing. And it, you have to have that culture. You have to have those kids trust each other and trust you in order to be willing to work in a group at all. And I'd like to build on that a little bit. And as a teacher, remind our staff, remind those who are trying to differentiate in the virtual classroom that you have to prepare students to be able to work in a group before you throw them into any differentiation strategy. One of the things that I used to hear a lot as a instructional coach was a teacher would try a given strategy on a day and it might fall flat. Nine times out of 10, the first time you try something, it will not work. And so we're very quick to say that didn't work. I want, I'm gonna do something else. Or even worse, that didn't work. Differentiation doesn't work in a cyber setting. Nothing will work in any setting the first time when you're working with 30 individual students with individual personalities who, as John said, are not robots. And I think back to when I first started teaching and I was in a brick and mortar building and I taught K to six art. But during those first three months of school, at any time you could open a door and you would see the kindergarten teachers walking in the hallways with their students. Or you could go into the lunchroom and you would see the kindergarten teachers walking their students in, sitting them down at a table, they would sit there, then they would stand up and they would take a tray over to the counter and they would get back in line and they'd walk back to their classroom. It was not lunchtime. They had nothing on their tray. What those teachers were doing were practicing routines, establishing how we transition from one thing to another. We stand up, we push our chairs in, we keep our hands to ourselves, we get in a line. 
or we stand up, we take our tray to the counter, we throw our recyclables here, we put our paper products here, and we get in a line. Whatever those transitions were, they worked on with these little guys over and over and over until it was an established routine and they knew what to expect. As our students learn how to transition, they know what those expectations are in the classroom, any strategy will work better. Once we have that culture that Steve mentioned, and we have some kind of guidelines that our students understand, any strategy will work better. So as a teacher, I would remind you that you've got to give a strategy several opportunities before you decide, is this working? Is it not? And I'm trying the same strategy every day for two weeks. Uh, maybe you're doing it every other day for a month, what, whatever that is, but you need a good eight to 10 tries before you really can find out, do my kids get this or not? Um, so give yourself some time, give yourself some grace, have your kids involved in that process. Let them know that this is something new. We're going to keep trying it. What would help this work better tomorrow? But make that a group effort that kind of builds on that culture that Steve was talking about. Train your students on what to expect. When you go into a breakout room, how do I get the materials that I need? How do I advance those slides? How do I submit the work to you when I'm finished? What behaviors are you expecting of me when I'm here? So those kind of things have to be practiced and it can be something very small, like we're going to start working on group work in a couple of months, kiddos, and I need you to be able to, I need to be able to trust you when you're working independently. So what I want you to do right now is move yourself into a breakout room. I want you to write your name on that slide and when you're finished, I want you to pull yourself back in here. That's it. There's no academic expectation, but what you're doing is practicing that I can get into a breakout room, I can follow a quick direction and I can come back. And you gradually start building on those things so that the students feel just as comfortable navigating that classroom setting as you do. I think there needs to be some rules that we work on. What does it look like if I'm working as a partner? What does it look, work, look like if I'm working as a group? What does it look like if I'm working independently? What do I do if I'm in a breakout room and I don't know what to do? Do I go to my teacher right away or do I have an ask three then me? kind of thing for the students. So you can't have them running back to you at all the times. If you're working with a small group and you have another group working independently and they have a question, if they're all coming to you, that defeats the purpose of you giving some undivided attention to another group of learners. So there needs to be some process for all those things. We do have some guidelines for successful grouping on our differentiation website that we can link out with this um, that gives you a nice things to think through before you really start working with grouping in your classrooms. But I think that that is essential. And nine times out of 10, when a strategy falls flat, uh, whether it is in the classroom, brick and mortar, whether it is in a cyber classroom, or whether it's on a baseball field, it's because kiddos were not trained in a process first. There has to be that base level of expectation. And as the adult in charge, there has to be some grace in realizing that it's going to take kiddos some time and some pro um, some practice before they feel comfortable working in groups. And so I think keeping that, having that positive culture there and then preparing students for success is really essential. A lot of teachers that are just getting started enjoy trying one of our beginning grouping strategies, which is just a football method. Generally in classes, we do sort of an I do, we do, you do. So it's the teacher demonstrating and then we're all gonna do it as a class and then you're going to do it independently. Well, a nice sort of transition from that once our students are ready to work in groups is to flip that 
that you have a tiny little portion of your class, which is the I do. You're uh, sharing what the expectations are. You're demonstrating what the what you want your students to be doing. You're giving them some outcomes. And then you give the large chunk of your class to the you do. So now our students are working independently. They might be working in small groups. This can be broken apart in a variety of different ways, but then you bring them back at the end for the we do, and we're gonna share out what we did. But at this point, our students are prepared. They feel safe. They know how to move in and out of groups. They know what the expectations are. And we're going to sort of generally, we're not sending them away for the entire class. We're kind of giving them some guidelines, giving them some time to work independently, and then bringing it all back. And that's a great way to sort of transition into that differentiation idea in a classroom once the culture is there and once our students are prepared to work in groups. All right. I love it. So Steve, I love what you said about like the parent role, because I, I think of my two kids, like the way I'm going to reach my daughter, Abby is going to be different than the way I reach my daughter, Rachel. And I have to know that as a parent. And I think every parent who has more than one kid knows that, that like there, there are those different ways that, that you reach, reach somebody. And um, Katie, I, I think that you covered like four P's there of, of practice processes, procedures, and perseverance. To get these to work, we need all four of those. We need to, to practice those, those processes. We need um, those procedures, how are students going to perform once they're in, in those breakout rooms, and perseverance. Don't give up. If, if these strategies that we're talking about today do not work the first time, keep pushing through. I'm going to go with a different form of practice. Like we're, you, you, you're talking about practicing the procedures and, and the processes in classroom. I'm going to go with uh, practicing the skills that we're teaching and how do we differentiate that practice. And it all starts with another P, planning. Whenever you're planning, let's say I'm planning for that uh, I'm going to have 15 minutes worth of dedicated practice at the end of my lesson. And I, I think that in those 15 minutes, my students are going to be able to complete five problems. So it's going to take them about three minutes per problem. So I'm planning five problems. I say don't plan five problems, plan 15 problems. And what you're going to do is start with your average student, plan five problems for your average student, and then realize there's no such a thing as an average student. So this isn't going to work. So then you're going to uh, plan five problems for those students who are lower than that and five problems for those students that are above that. And you can lab label those uh, problems um, something like mild, medium, and spicy. And then the students are going to work on whatever level they feel comfortable with. Um, just like you, you go into Taco Bell, not everybody's grabbing that fire sauce. Some people are going to be grabbing that mild sauce. Some of the students are going to be grabbing those mild problems, and that's okay. And then the question is, so how do you assign these problems? Are you going to have three rooms, one room for mild, one room for medium, one room for spicy? Or are you going to have um, every student in their own room? with mild, medium, and spicy problems. This one is really, it depends on the type of work that you're doing. I could imagine like in a history classroom where you have a mild reading assignment, a medium reading assignment, and a spicy reading assignment, each with their own, um, with their own set of, of problems. Maybe you do do three rooms, 
one with that uh, lower level reading, one with mi middle level reading, one with advanced reading, and then they each get it like a Google form that they, they fill out. But maybe in a math classroom, you send them each to their own individual room with all 15 problems, and you say you're going to complete five of these 15 problems. Which five are, are up to you? And, and, and that gets me into the, this issue of who chooses how to differentiate? Is it the teacher or the student? And um, with this strategy, you can do kind of both. You can have the students choose. You choose where to start. Do you want to start at, at mild or do you want to start at medium? That's up to you. But the teacher is the expert on where their students are. The, the teacher know, has that data. They're, they're the data informed person. They know where the students are. So let's say you have a student who is probably ready for those spicy problems, but he doesn't give himself enough credit and he goes into the uh, medium problems. You as a teacher can talk to that student, be like, hey, Johnny, I see you're doing these medium problems right now, but I've also seen the work that you've been turning in and I really think that you're ready for the spicy problems. So what I'd like to see you do is challenge yourself today with some of the spicy problems. If you do three of them and you figure this isn't for me, I'm not ready for that, then you can go back and do two of the medium problems. But I want you, I'm going to challenge you right now to do at least three spicy problems today. Or you could uh, the other way. Maybe maybe you have uh, Johnny's not ready for the spicy, but he jumps right into the spicy. You could say, Johnny, I see that this is great. You're challenging yourself today, and I, I'm so glad to see that you're you're willing to challenge yourself. But remember, if you find these spicy problems are get are are a little frustrating for you, you can go back to some of those medium problems or some of those mild problems. That's okay. I'm I'm asking you to do five problems, and um, so so this works not only. Only oftentimes we think we have to differentiate for our lower lo performing students, but this works for differentiating differentiating in both directions for those lower performing students and for those upper performance student students. And it also gives you that um, we've we've all been there where we plan for 15 minutes of practice but some of our students are done in like eight minutes. And what do we do for those other seven minutes for our students? Well, in our environment, it is possible that we let those students go seven minutes early. I mean, it's not like at a brick and mortar school where they'd be roaming the halls and then you get in trouble. You could let them go, but that's not ideal because we only have so much time with our students. We don't want to be losing them for seven minutes a day. But if you have, if you've planned for three times the amount of problems that what, what you expect to fill that time, then even if that student's working on the, the spicy problems and they get all five of them done, they could go back and do a few of the medium problems. Um, it's not going to hurt them to uh, to do a little bit of, of review of skills that they've already picked up. So you can have them working that bell to bell time with by just doing that little bit of extra planning and planning a, a few extra extra problems there. So um, my idea is to plan some mild, medium and spicy work. I love that, John, and that rolls right into what my idea for differentiated instruction is, and that is putting the power of choice into this, our students' hands. Sometimes as teachers, we struggle with that, like 
Oh, we give them choice. Where are they going to go with that? This is just disaster written all over it. They don't get choice. I run this classroom and I tell them what to do. But realistically, giving our students the power of choice, um, like it does for us even as adults, it increases intrinsic motivation within us and also increases our effort and performance. You and I would be much happier each day if we, when we have the power of choice, how to attack tasks, how to get them done, what order to do them in. Our students are the same way, just because they're younger doesn't mean they wanna to be told what to do every single minute of the day. We all have children, we all know this, <laughs> even though we try to do it at times. So the strategy that I've seen and absolutely love and use myself is choice boards, which is a bit similar to what John is saying, but taking it, even another step further. And choice boards are gonna allow our students to choose how they want to learn. They, it also provides an opportunity to showcase their skills that they have mastered, practice new content, and even extend their learning. So we can take these choice boards, use it as part of instruction, use it as part of practice, and or use it as part of assessment, all parts of the lesson, not in one lesson are we going to do three different choice boards, but you can choose a choice board and place it into any part of your lesson. And this is just providing students with choices, but choices that we're directing. It's just not a free for all. Hey, did you learn this? Show me. <laughs> it's it's definitely um, very directed. And one of the most popular choice boards is a simple tic-tac-toe board where you've got three across three, you know, four or sorry, nine squares and there are nine choices. And the students can choose any of those three, but they have to create tic-tac-toe in some way. So they can't pick three corners. So you can strategically place their choices along the tic-tac-toe board, knowing that they're going to have to choose certain ones to create tic-tac-toe. And then they have the freedom. They're still feeling the freedom of choice. There's nine, nine choices. They only need to do three, but it's strategically placed so they can't you know, do three. Maybe two of the choices are draw a picture. Well, you place those strategically so that they can't draw two pictures and, and be done. It, need, it needs to be um, set out. Another one that's extremely popular is um, a menu. So teachers will make it look exactly like a food menu when you go into a restaurant. You choose an appetizer, you choose a drink, you choose a main entree, and you choose a dessert. So underneath each of those categories are several choices, and the students have to pick one from each category, but they still are offered that choice. And then, of course, you can have a standard choice board if you just want the students to do one activity. There are several choices or several different ways to accomplish one goal. And I really like when teachers use um, a standard choice board during the instruction piece of their lesson, because not every student wants to learn in the group during group discussion. So, you know, your choice might be, hey, I created this Nearpod. If you'd like to go into the breakout room and, and work through the student based Nearpod, Feel free if that's how you want to learn today's assessment or there's a YouTube video you can watch and some follow up questions or um, maybe it's independent reading. Some students like to read independently, learn on their own at their own pace and and be done. But then there's the other ones who want to stay with the teacher and go through the um, guided instruction. So there is nothing wrong with using choice boards during instruction as long as there's accountability at the end of each choice. So I think these are great ways to get our students involved, putting the power in their hands, letting go of the reins just a little bit, which 
you know, as we've all said, it may not be perfect the first time, but perseverance is extremely important and, you know, keep working at it and providing our students these opportunities. All right. So thank you, Kelly. So to summarize what we what we have here, we have uh, Steve talks about uh, building that culture of differentiation in your classroom. Katie talked about practicing those procedures, persevering through that practice. Uh, I, I talked about planning some some extra activities or some extra uh, practice for students. And Kelly talked about choice and having choice boards for students, all as ways for differentiation. So that will do it for today's episode of the Cyber PD podcast. I want to thank Katie, Steve, and Kelly for joining today. It's great to have all four hosts on for an episode. Remember, you can subscribe to this show through all of the major podcatching apps. You can leave feedback feedback for the show on our blog at cyberpdpodcast.blogspot.com. The blog is also a place where you can leave feedback about the show. So if you have a favorite differentiation strategy, you can share it in the comments on the blog. Um, also, this episode was a listen gen uh, listener generated request. One of our listeners said that she would love to hear differentiation discussed on the podcast. So that's what we did. So maybe you're asking, you're thinking, I have this idea that would make a great podcast. Let us know at cyberpdpodcast.blogspot.com and we would be happy to, uh, as long as it's reasonable, <laughs> we'd be happy to uh, make your request into an episode. Um, so, and if you have not done so already um, and you're enjoying the show, please rate us on iTunes. The more ratings we get, the more visibility the show gets. So, um, Maybe they're listening to us in Tennessee. I'd like the, them to be listening to us in Alaska. Um, so the more ratings the, the show gets, the, um, the, the more visibility we get. But until next time, keep learning. Thanks for listening to the Cyber PD Podcast. Tune in next time for more cyber pedagogy.